On today's show, are the OKC Thunder the best team in the NBA this season? Plus the argument for Shea Gilgis-Alexander's MVP candidacy. Also, what's the direction for the Memphis Grizzlies after John Morant being shut down this season due to the shoulder injury? And the Utah Jazz with a massive turnaround. What's gone into salvaging this season, playing some dominant basketball as of late? And are they legit playoff threats in the West? Conference. It's all coming up on today's Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50 plus different infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com and use code Locked On to get $20 off your order. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day, whether it's on your way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for making Locked On NBA part of your day every single day. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Thunder, Rylan Styles. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Just search Locked On Thunder. And Rylan, the Thunder have a pretty legitimate argument that they might be one of, if not maybe, possibly the best team in the NBA this season. They've been really dominant throughout this, you know, almost about halfway through the NBA season to this point, 27 and 11, sitting a half game outside of the number one seed in the Western Conference. They were tied there for a little bit with the with the Timberwolves. What makes this Thunder team so special? Yeah, I, I think that with this Thunder team, the only real knocks on them that people have are rebounding and they're in their inexperience and they, and they can't fix their inexperience, right? They, they can't go back in time and get born, born earlier. They can't hack into basketball reference and add games to their games played log. So the inexperience part is what it is. And we've seen young teams have a lot of success, uh, even in this modern era, much less if you try to dig into uh, previous years. But what makes this Thunder team so special is that they have an MVP caliber player who I think is the MVP favorite right now in SGA. And along with him, he's flanked by two all-star caliber players. Now, I'm not sure that Chet or Jade are going to get voted into the all-star game, but they are playing at an all-star level if you really dig into their numbers and compare them to who is on the fringes of making the all-star team. And so those two players happen to be a second-year guy and a rookie, but nonetheless, that's what they're playing like. And so when you add those guys to the mix, plus the enhanced shooting, uh, you know, they spent a lot of the season being the best three-point shooting team and best free-throw shooting team in the NBA. That's been all due to Chip England being brought in, and he's doing his job tremendously at overhauling a lot of these guys' shots and getting them better shooting the basketball. And then their depth. They've just got a lot uh, deeper of a roster because Cason Wallace, another lottery pick, is able to come in. He's being overshadowed because Chet's a rookie and all these young guys are, are so good. But Cason Wallace is playing rotational minutes. He's, he's playing sixth-man level minutes as a rookie and doing so phenomenally and efficiently. Another rarity to see another young player added to the fold and being very efficient. Then you have Isaiah Joe and you have uh, Kendrick Williams and you have all these guys who add to the rotation. Plus, this letter team just works together because they have a multi-dimension of how to beat you. They can beat you by just simply playing one-on-one with their star. They can beat you by playing team basketball. They can beat you by shooting threes. And they can beat you by getting downhill if the threes aren't falling. And so most teams are really reliant on one area. That's not the Thunder. Last night, the Thunder made two first half threes and they 
went going away against Orlando by the end of the game because they're able to just change how they play in the middle of a game, which most teams can't do. So that's a long way to say why the Thunder are so good. We're gonna we're gonna get to SGA's MVP case here in just a moment, but you know, talking about the youth of this Thunder roster, even though we have seen some younger teams have success, especially now more in this modern era of NBA basketball, the Thunder are the second youngest team in the NBA this season when you average out their lineup, right? What does that say about Mark Dagnalton and just the the work that he's been able to put in with this group to have them as successful as they are, as young as they are? Yeah, I think that Mark is always going to be reserved to give himself a lot of the credit, but he should uh, demand a large chunk of this pie because he not only is able to motivate these players, but these players to a T have discussed how much, how bought in they are to his beliefs. And that's very hard to do for a player to as young as Mark is by far the youngest head coach. He's younger than LeBron James in the NBA for a coach like him who didn't play professional basketball, who didn't play high level basketball, no offense to Mark for him to command an NBA locker room that is filled with these guys who not only are having success, but instant made success uh, that, that are, they're just having success in their first two years and playing at MVP levels for Shea. You know, he's an older guy than Jada and but still an MVP level for them to buy into his basketball ideologies is really impressive and just kind of conveys how good Mark is at winning over an entire team. He's also really good at balancing a roster because this center team, you know, it's not going to sound like it maybe to national fans, but they have 18 guys who they really like and who can play NBA minutes. And so for a long time, for example, Vasa Micic, who was a two-time EuroLeague MVP, two-time EuroLeague champion, didn't play any minutes, zero minutes for the Thunder for the majority of this season. But now he's gotten right back in the rotation in January as he adjusts to life in the NBA. And I use him as an example of just how Mark is able to walk the line of even when guys aren't playing, they're still engaged and they're still connected to the team and connected to Mark. And that's a hard thing to balance because we've seen around the NBA, whenever guys aren't playing, it's easy for them to turn on their head coach. It's easy for them to turn the organization or even just have little whispers of being disgruntled. That's not happened for a Thunder team that's been completely healthy to this point in the season. And they've had their, their pick of 18 guys each night uh, for the majority of this season. And they've had to make some tough choices on just simply not playing some talented NBA players. All right, Rylan, your case for SGA being this year's most valuable player, go. I, I think that what SGA is doing Scoring the basketball efficiently is a case in and of itself and is a case enough because he's not shooting the ball uh, from three 60 times a game and, and getting his bread and butter that way. He's getting to 30 plus points a night by getting into the paint and scoring at the rim. And that's tough to do for a guard. And then his ability to play that way. Take a beating in the trees. He's on pace to have more and ones this year than he had last year. He had a six and one game this weekend against Orlando. Like his ability to, to manipulate a defense when everybody knows it's coming is what makes him so special. But this year he's made another leap. We thought last year there was nowhere else for him to go as a player. He's that 30 point per, per game score. He put himself first team all NBA. And when you get to that conversation, that's kind of where you're capped out. But this year he's added an entirely new dynamic of playmaking, which partly is due to just having better players around him who can make shots, but it's also partly due to how much better he is at being a creative passer out of situations, especially when he gets in the caught in the air with defenses, but his ability to just force you to be wrong is huge on offense. Uh, no one can defend him. He can get you in the air at all three levels and make you pay for that commitment to him but what's even more impressive for his mvp case is he plays like that high usage guy like 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 a Giannis, like a luca like any of these top tier mvp candidates 
but he is dialed in defensively, leading the NBA in steals by a mile in steals. He is one of the Thunder's best defenders and best offensive players for a team who's top tier in both offense and defense in this league and has the best net rating in the league. He is the focus and he is the sole reason why really on both ends of the floor, because if he was a turnstile offense uh, defensively, plus you had Josh Giddy, that defense would collapse. So he's needing to be a really good defender and he's doing so even as his offensive game has to take a lot out of him because of how difficult uh, it is for him to get to his shots. Well, not only do you have a, an incredible season here backing the incredible play from SGA uh, or vice versa, however you want to re redistribute those words, because maybe I said that in a funky way. But point is, you maybe got maybe maybe some still voter fatigue from from Jokic. Potentially there's Embiid, you know, in the mix as well. But, you know, I think SGA has got a very solid shot at it. Right. He's firmly uh, at the three spot as far as the Kia NBA uh MVP ladder is concerned, at least uh, in the most recent polling uh, as far as that goes. But last thing for you here, Rylan, before we let you go, we've seen Sam Presti, you know, a very active at NBA trade deadlines previously, but for very different reasons with previous versions of this Thunder team. How active, if at all, do you expect the Thunder to be at this NBA trade deadline? Is there any spot on the roster? You talk about them having 18 players that they love, guys having to live with not getting minutes here and there, but is there a spot that they could get an upgrade at, you know, to really make this team, uh, you know, a, a championship caliber threat? Not that they're not right now, but to really round out the roster before the deadline passes. Yeah, it's interesting, and this is going to be the talk of the next month is what the Thunder should do because there's always going to be a contingent who think that they should go out and get a superstar, and I just don't think that there's someone out there to go all in on right this moment, especially before you see this team play in a playoff environment and see what their deficiencies are once you get to that new stage. However, Sam Presti in his entire you know career as an executive, every time the Thunder have been in a position to be in the postseason and to even somewhat have a chance, even last year where their team – wasn't even in the play-in at the moment of the deadline, he still made a trade to upgrade this team. So he's consistently upgraded the team at every deadline he's had the opportunity to. And I don't think this year will be any different. Now, I don't think it'll be Laurie Marketing or insert whatever stars available here, but I do think that he can get someone like a Kelly Olenek or like a Tyus Jones. And I mentioned those two players because the, the areas I think that the Thunder should focus on is a backup facilitator, a, a backup creator, which could be Vasa Micic if he continues to to get NBA minutes and look uh, well against NBA athletes. But that's also a way that you can, you can help solidify this roster. And then also, of course, rebounding uh, and presence down low. The thing with the rebounding is that you, you would kind of tell yourself, well, they should just go get a massive big man. But if he went and did that, it'd kind of be all for naught because I don't think Mark would play that big man a lot because he would not fit the Thunder's versatile style. So you've still got to balance in how you want to play basketball with balancing out fixing your rebounding issues. I think Kelly Olynyk is a guy who could do that. Uh, so I would mention those two names with kind of those two roles specifically of what I think the Thunder will address. I would be stunned if the Thunder make zero trades at the deadline. Uh, even if it's just to, to move Poku, who's a restricted, restricted free agent, for nothing, they're going to do something. In a, in a month, uh, but I think that they'll improve this roster in some way in a month, and it'll it'll really kickstart this thing uh, for the Thunder, who should have home court advantage possibly in the playoffs, especially as it sits right now. Can Shea Gilgis Alexander win the NBA MVP award this year? How deep a postseason run are we looking at for this Thunder roster? And and what upgrades, if any, will we see ahead of the NBA trade deadline? You'll have us cover for all of that and so much more over at Locked On Thunder. Rylan, thanks for stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Thanks for having me.
Coming up, what's the direction for the Memphis Grizzlies after losing Ja Morant for the remainder of this season due to injury? What are the pros and cons to staying competitive versus bottoming out? We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Look, I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of real life, but can we talk for just a minute about preparing for real life? Because according to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade, which is pretty scary stuff to consider. I can't imagine a more helpless feeling than if a close friend or a loved one got sick while a supply chain issue kept them from the life-saving medication that they needed. Thankfully, you don't have to worry about that because Jace Medical has you covered. The Jace Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, skin infections, and so many other things that could happen to honestly any one of us. Visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board certified physician and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. Go to jacemedical.com and use offer code LOCKEDON to get $20 off your order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off your order at jacemedical.com. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday, some exciting news is Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every single league. So go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Grizzlies, Joe Molinax. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Grizzlies. And Joe, this is like, uh, it's got to be like a roller coaster of emotions for Grizzlies fans, right? Because you, you you don't have John Morant to start the season because of the suspension. He comes back for a cup of coffee, and now he's sidelined for the rest of the year with a shoulder injury, underwent successful surgery, all that. But now the Grizzlies are without their star player. This has got to be a, like, a bit of whiplash for Grizzlies fans at this point. Well, you left out the part and not that I expect you to have this known. Of course, people come to lockdown Grizzlies for hard hitting analysis like this, but the Grizzlies were six and three with John Morant, which is exactly the pace that they needed to be at to make the play in guesstimate, right? Give or take a game. So uh, they were literally doing exactly what they needed to do with John Morant in order to get into the play in conversation and that dream has all but died. Desmond Bain rolled his ankle on, uh, in a recent game. So there was a game that they played, I think it was against the Knicks, where they you know, had multiple stars out. Just a, a really tough season. It brings back you know, folks that have been following the Grizzlies for a while. The 28-guy the season, uh, the hateful eight, we called them, where you know, Matt Barnes was playing meaningful minutes, and the Grizzlies scraped into the playoffs and got obliterated in the first round because they were playing just guys literally that they found off the street. Uh, it, it's getting giving off vibes like that. Not quite that bad just yet, but it, it hasn't been great. Obviously, job being the biggest name, but, you know, Marcus Smart being out again is a real kick in the pants. They're missing multiple bigs. There's silver linings, right? Like Gigi Jackson looking like he would be a probable lottery pick if he was in the 2024 NBA draft, but he came out early was drafted by the Grizzlies in the second round last year. That's looking cool, right? Like, it's nice to see him playing well, but that doesn't help in terms of this team being capable of making the postseason this season, which, again, 
they're about to have three guys on, you know, nine figure plus million dollar contracts. You want to start seeing some progression in that goal. Yeah. The, uh, the current Grizzlies injury list is long, is, is more than halfway long, but distinguished. Yeah, there you go. Sure. I mean, they've got, if I count right now, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys on the injury report for the Grizzlies right now. That's well over half the roster at this point. Um, look, Joe, I mean, I guess the way to kind of unpack this, right? The decisions, you know, kind of standing before the Grizzlies at this point is, do you try and stay competitive? Do you still try and, you know, see what you can sure. make of this season or do you bottom out and try and secure a top draft pick? Uh, let's start with that first option. I mean, what, what would there to be gained or what, what could be gained from a Grizzlies team that tries to stay competitive and maybe see if they can, you know, luck out and make a play in tournament, even without John ja Morant this season. I think I can answer both questions at the same time. They can just kind of keep doing what they're doing. The Grizzlies, as long as they don't have catastrophic injuries, because Desmond Bain rolled his ankle, he should be fine. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. has a bruised knee. He should be okay. Um, as long as they don't have catastrophic injuries to those guys, the Grizzlies aren't as bad as those teams, even without John Morant, right? And then the rest of the teams in the Western Conference, except for Utah, they're actively trying to get into the play-in, and Utah might make it in spite of themselves, Right. So you, you have a Western Conference that's extremely competitive. You have a Grizzlies team who's stuck in purgatory. And then you have a couple of teams that are really bad. The Eastern Conference, it's similar, right? The Washington Wizards, Detroit Pistons, super bad basketball teams that the Grizzlies can't be as bad as even if they tried. And if they tried, that would mean trading Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain. They're obviously not going to do that. So I think they can evaluate the talent that they have on the roster Look ahead to next season, which you assume that you have Steven Adams and Brandon Clark, who Brandon Clark could return around the all-star break as well. Uh, but you'll have all those guys healthy alongside John Morant against Steven Adams, Brandon Clark. And you would imagine the Grizzlies are going to have a little more urgency and maybe make a big swing in the offseason and try to bring in somebody to help them be contenders going into next year. I think you evaluate who's going to be a part of that process, right? Like Vince Williams Jr. has already earned that. He signed a new contract. That guy's a part of the core moving forward. You can evaluate what you currently have, compete every game, even with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain, and you're probably going to fluctuate between the sixth and the eighth spot in the lottery. There's not really a major difference there anymore, right? So you might as well just go out and play. If the right trade comes along, you listen, of course. But I think the Grizzlies kind of just see this as a, a blown year evaluate the talent that you have at the end of the roster and you move on from there, hoping that 2024, 2025 will be better. Now we saw, you know, a couple of years back, right? The Warriors were a little bit in this position, right? They had that mm -hmm. year. They were decimated by injuries. They walk away with the top pick. They wind up selecting, you know, they, they wind up taking Wiseman and getting right. cooked deservedly so for that selection. But, and, and at the time they were, you know, kind of ridiculed because they didn't use that pick to trade and go get another kind of sure. win now piece. What do you expect the Grizzlies to potentially do with this pick at the end of this all when we get through this season if they do kind of bottom out they're somewhere in that you know five six eight range whatever would you expect them to maybe move that draft asset and and get another you know contributing member for this team or draft a young guy and just kind of have another piece of this young exciting Grizzlies roster precedent suggests that they're going to keep the pick Right. And they'll draft somebody, either a big to replace Stephen Jack or Stephen Adams long term, because obviously Adams is getting older, had this PCL injury in his knee or a wing. Right. Somebody like that. They take another one of those guys, add to the young core. That's what precedent would suggest. But Zach Kleiman, the Grizzlies GM, has come out numerous times 
and said, did we really need to triple down on youth? Did we really need to keep going down that path? It might be time to put his money where his mouth is and maybe learn a lesson from the Golden State Warriors and use that pick. Again, let's say it's sixth, right? Sixth in the lottery. You could get a pretty impressive player at that place, or you can use that, package it with expiring money, package it with a young piece or two. The Grizzlies don't have a ton of interesting pieces in that way. Let's say somebody talks themselves into the the, uh, potential of Zaire Williams, who has played better in the last six or seven games. Zaire Williams, sixth pick in the 2024 NBA draft. Maybe that gets you a a wing that can compete. And the Grizzlies have all of their first-round picks beyond that. So if they really want to go in and, you know, Brooklyn decides to punt on Mikel Bridges, they probably won't. But let's just say they do. In theory, the Grizzlies could offer a pretty good trade, right? There's possibilities that they could pursue. I think if you go off of what Zach Kleiman has been throughout his time in Memphis, they'll make a selection. They'll continue to be patient. Should they be? No, they probably need to go in now because you never know when the next suspension, long-term injury, the Grizzlies and their fans have been hit with a lot of stuff over the last 12 months that all should add up to seize the day. Carpe diem, it's time to go make a run at this thing because the Grizzlies are about to be in the luxury tax for the first time. And while I do think Robert Para, billionaire owner of the Memphis Grizzlies, is going to be okay with that for a time, in Memphis there's going to be an expiration date on how long that luxury tax thing lasts. How competitive will the Memphis Grizzlies look without John Morant over the course of the rest of this season? And will this season bear the fruit of a top draft asset if they kind of, you know, organically bottom out a little bit? And what will they ultimately do? Draft uh, a young player to join this Memphis Grizzlies core or trade the pick to get John Morant and the rest of the Grizzlies a little bit more help for next season? You all have us covered for all that and so much more over at Locked On Grizzlies. Joe, thanks for stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Anytime, buddy. Happy to be here. Coming up, the Utah Jazz look like a completely different basketball team from the start of the season. What are some of the things that have gone into this turnaround and how much credit does Will Hardy get and how much credit do the players get for being able to salvage this thing? And are they legit playoff hopefuls in the Western Conference? We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL postseason is here, and there is no better time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place just a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose, and all you have to do is wager $5. It's that simple. The app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet, like live, same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. Make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays and so much more. Right now, you can take a look at the outright betting favorites for this year's Super Bowl. The San Francisco 49ers at plus 190. The Ravens right behind them at plus 270. And then a little bit further off, you got the Kansas City Chiefs at plus 600, the Bills at plus 600, and the Detroit Lions at plus 1,000. So for all those odds and so much more, visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get in on the NFL postseason action this year. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. Be sure to stay tuned in throughout the week as we have you covered for all of the NBA breakdowns, news, and analysis right here at Locked On NBA with our rotating panel of hosts, including Matt Moore and David Ramil on Tuesdays, John Corrales and Jake Madison on Wednesdays, Nick Angstad and Pat the Designer on Thursdays, and Wes Goldberg and Adam Mares on Fridays. 
Joining us now is the host of Locked On Jazz, our fearless leader, David Locke himself. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Jazz. And David, let's be honest here. The Jazz got off to a bit of a rough start this season, all the way kind of through up to about the end of November-ish. But as of late, they've been on a pretty significant tear here, 8-2 and two in their last 10. They've got wins over the Bucks, the Nuggets, and the Lakers, and not just not just wins, but but dominant wins where they led for a majority of these games. So kind of what has been the key to success here in turning around this season as of late? Well, let me start with the first thing you said and just let everyone know that on December 21st, the Utah Jazz went to Detroit, who had lost 24 straight games, and the Pistons were favored. The Pistons were favored. So if you want to know what a turnaround is, it's going from being in Detroit, having lost the night before to Cleveland, who didn't have Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland or Evan Mobley playing in that game. And then since that day, you've lost two games. That's that's a turnaround. Why? There's a not you can't have a turnaround this dramatic with one thing. So. The first thing, actually, some injuries happened that got guys to play in different roles and allowed the coaching staff to kind of reshuffle the deck. And one of the major changes was that Colin Sexton went into the starting lineup where he's been averaging 20 points a game and just plays with kind of a fearless energy, unbridled um, kind of juice to every game. And then Jordan Clarkson came back to the bench when he came back from his injury, and that just worked better. Keontae George got injured. Rookies don't help you win in this league. Chris Dunn went into the starting lineup and just settled things a little bit. He's a veteran. He knows how to play. He doesn't play starter minutes, but he still starts and settles. So all these little things kind of happened. Walker Kessler got hurt, John Call, and it allowed them to reshuffle the deck, and everyone is now playing at a much better level in a different role. This leads to the next part of it, and then I will stop. I will. I promise. And that is they have a complete 48 minutes of five man lineups that are solid NBA players out on the floor at all times. And if you really look around most rosters in the NBA, almost none of them do. You could say Keontae hasn't proven that yet. He's pretty good and he's playing really well. So I think he will be that. I I kind of understand when you say rookies, if you say rookies haven't proven that, but otherwise every other guy that's playing is playing well. And he's a bona fide NBA rotation player. When we played Milwaukee the other night and they had Dame out, They played about 70 minutes of guys that aren't NBA rotation players. And so the Jazz are winning with a level of consistency throughout the whole night. And as far as just kind of the shuffling the deck here, right? Injuries, various things, giving giving the Jazz kind of a fresh look here as of late. Just on the season, they've had 12 different guys at one point or another in the starting lineup. Which of those starting lineups, though, has been the most effective? Is it the one that they're currently running with right now? Is it is it one that was maybe utilized a little bit in there somewhere that they haven't quite gone back to to take another look at? It's an interesting question, Jackson, because the starting lineup they have right now, which has led them on this way to all these wins, is probably not the best starting lineup they have. In fact, it plays the opening six minutes of the first and third quarters. You never see it again at any other point. It almost never closed with it. So it plays about 12 minutes night. It's about even on the season. But what the story of this stretch has been is the Jazz are even for the first six or seven minutes. And then as other teams go to their bench and the Jazz go to their bench, that's when the Jazz suddenly vault. Like we were talking about Jordan Clarkson in the last 12 games, he's averaging plus seven as his plus minus. Walker Kessler is coming off the bench is averaging plus seven in his plus minus. So 
it, and they're intermixing them all very, very well in different ways. Um, and so I think it's really a case that as the night goes on, the Jazz are actually getting the best of these teams by having, you know, as I like to refer to on the show, 240 minutes of NBA basketball you throw out every night, 48 times five. So at this point, with the way that the Jazz are playing basketball now as compared to the start of the season, are they are they legit threats in the Western Conference playoff race at this point? I had a right. sneaking suspicion we get this question. And so, you know, I've been looking at this. There's one statistic that's a real outlier for the Jazz. In their last 18 games, they're 14 and four. They're sh- the best three-point shooting team in the clutch. So that's won them some close games. Now, recently, they haven't played any close games. They've just been crushing people. When you start to look at things in this, you'll say, well, okay, are teams shooting an inordinately low three-point percentage, right? That's like one of the ways you get hot in this league. In the last 18 games, when the Jazz are 14 and four, teams are shooting 39% from three against them. They're shooting, there's the eighth, the Jazz are the eighth best team defending the rim in that time period. Well, Walker Kessler is the number one defender at the basket in the NBA. Teams are shooting... 20% below league average inside six feet when Walker's the closest defender since this December 13th when they've been 14 and four and he's moved off the bench. You, their, rating, their rankings in this time period, they're 12th in shots in shooting. They're 21st in taking care of the ball. They're third in offensive rebounding. They've been number one all year. They're eighth in going to the line. None of those are really strange, right? Their defense ranks 12th. They're 12th best in defending the shot. That might be a little strange, but I couldn't find an outlier, right? We just talked about they're shooting 40% from three. They're 19th in forcing turnovers. They're 15th in uh, defensive rebounding. They're sixth at not fouling. They've been playing a ton of zone. You don't usually foul in the zone. So there's nothing like I've dug into this to try to figure it out. There's nothing particularly unusual. They're healthy when a lot of teams aren't healthy and they're deep. Other than Colin Sexton, there's also not really anybody that's having a super big outlier stretch. Kelly Olynyk's shooting 54%. That's a little high. And George, John Collins is shooting 54% and 39% from three. That's probably a little high. But otherwise, you look down the list, It's it, there really isn't anything here, Jackson, that just bounds off the table at you and says, well, there's no way that Lowry Marketing can continue to average 24 points a game. Well, why not? There's no way Colin Sexton can continue to average 21 points a game. Well, actually, he's done that twice before in his career before this year. So they're, I, I, I'm stunned by what's happened with the Utah Jazz. They were terrible. They lost by 50 to Dallas. They lost by 30 to the Lakers. They were terrible. But what I'm watching right now, I, I can't find something that says to me, oh, this is a total mirage. You know, you mentioned Laurie Markin in there for just a for just a moment. And, you know, stats are one part of the equation when you're a number one option. But there's there's certain intangibles that come with being the number one guy on a team. So I want to know as somebody who watches him every single day, who's close to him, who, who sees, you know, all the little things that he he does as a player. Is Laurie Markin good enough to be a number one guy in your eyes on a on a championship hopeful one day? Now, not saying that probably not. Is, if we're, OK. Oh, sorry. I thought you stopped. Probably not. If we're being totally honest. I mean, there's what seven of those guys in the league, eight guys in the league. I don't know if I think LeBron's that guy anymore, frankly. Oh. Right. I don't think Anthony Davis is probably the number one after watching him. Like, I don't know that Anthony Davis is the number one guy in a championship team. If he doesn't have Le- like someone right next to him or, you know, maybe frankly, the Lakers need Anthony Davis to be the number one guy in a championship team. And they're five below 500. So, I think there's seven, eight guys in the league that fit that characterization right now. And no, Lowry's probably not one of those guys. He's a top 
30 player in the NBA. Are there things he could do to become a top 15 player in the NBA? Yeah, probably. Like he's, and his leadership has grown a tremendous amount. This is not, you know, this is his first year of being the go-to guy and knowing it coming into the season. And that has been different. His year this year, his numbers are identical. 24 points, nine rebounds and an assistant or two a game um, are identical to last year. But last year, he was playing with Mike Conley and Malik Beasley, who were veterans at the time. For him to do it this year with this group of inexperienced guys is totally fabulous. So he's a much better player than he was last year when he was an all-star starter. How much longer can the Utah Jazz keep up their dominant play for? Is it sustainable? How good can Laurie Markkinen ultimately become as a player? Is he top 15 bound at some point in his career? You'll have us covered for all that and so much more over at Locked On Jazz. David, thanks for stopping by Locked On NBA with me. My pleasure. Great job, Jackson. That's my love Mondays. You on the NBA, Kevin Ostriker on the NFL. It's my first listens every single Monday as these two shows. And that's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. 